Everlasting Father, we come before you this night and ask once again that you would take this time that we have set aside for the study of your word. Lord, I just pray that we'd be able to do that. The material may be uh, uh, new to some, and yet, Lord, some of us have been over it many times. We pray that the Holy Spirit would minister to our hearts and encourage us in your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And you may be seated in prayer. Please keep Desiree, that's Anne's daughter, in prayer. She is in hospice care. And, of course, uh, if you don't know what that means, see somebody after service. We'll explain that to you. But uh, just keep Anne in prayer. She was out there to visit this week. And uh, things are are not going. uh, Well, they are going as they expected, just up and down. And so just keep that in prayer. And then uh, yesterday I received a phone call. Some of you will remember back in the year 2000. We had Dr. Art Wilson and his wife out here in 2003. Dr. Wilson passed away and just got the call yesterday morning. Mrs. Wilson passed away and uh, her funeral will be in Springfield tomorrow morning. And uh, I thought, my, I would like to go, and then I looked at what plane tickets were cost, and and it was just not not possible. And so, we we'll just ask you to uh, keep keep the the family there in prayer. Mrs. Wilson was a uh, uh, many many years, well over fifty years, an evangelist wife, and when I was in Bible college, she was just like a mother to me. And so, uh, just praise the Lord. Her suffering is over, and. And uh, she is with the Lord. And we just, it, it's hard to be sad. She would have been a hundred years old in uh, just a few weeks. And, and so many times, Brother Wills, uh, her pastor, Brother Abels, had seen me down at Heartland and said, you better stop in and see Mrs. Wilson. You'd probably be your last time. And uh, when we went out to uh, the fellowship meeting there and preached chapel in February, both my wife and I just felt we've got to stop. And Mrs. Wilson was sitting up in her chair and talking, remembered who we were first time through. And and um, and her son would tell me, he said, most of the time mom doesn't even know who I am. And I'd walk in there. Uh, I say, do you remember me? She says, I remember you. I just don't know your name. You're the guy from New York, right? And uh, and so uh, it's 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 hard to be too sorrowful that she is not putting up with all the things that she's had to put up with here on earth, and uh, she is now with her Savior. So just just keep those things in prayer, if you would. And, of course, tonight's message is on Jesus is coming again. Now, I know right around the first of the year as we were going through all the major doctrines of the Bible that we, we spent quite a bit of time on that. And that's not my intent to touch on every verse in the Bible. I, I want you to turn with me to John chapter 14. And I, I just want us to... Uh, look at what the Bible says. Uh, this is one of those doctrines that everybody likes to argue about and have their own ideas about. Uh, I don't know how many times I have heard someone say, Jesus is coming, and they give a date. And, of course, uh, I've always gone on record and said, 
If Jesus is coming in, uh, uh, what was it, September, uh, Jesus is supposed to come, Y2K, uh, not going to come when people are expecting him. I'm trying to remember the dates that Mr. Camping, of uh, formerly of Family Radio, uh, gave uh, time and time again. Wrote a book called 1994, hundreds and hundreds of pages of proposed evidence until 1994 came and went. And then he did a whole thing. How many of you remember seeing the billboards on the New Jersey Turnpike, The World Ends May of... What was that, 2012 or 2013, something like that? And, of course, it did not. Uh, in fact, uh, I hope you, no one here is a fan of family radio. If Mr. Camping was right about anything, uh, I would like to know about it. Because anything, I, I've, he is one of the few people that I know of that was wrong about everything. I mean... Uh, I mean, even the devil's right about a few things. But Mr. Camping was wrong about everything that he said. He, he said the church is dead. Uh, he said, uh, you know, he used to use only the King James Bible. And then he changed and used all the Bibles. I mean, I don't know anything right that Mr. Camping was right about. Somebody said, but his music was so good. Have you listened to it lately? Uh, I mean, even it has gone uh, a very worldly slant in the last several years just before he passed away. Uh, I, I don't know of anything, but here's what Jesus said. John chapter 14, and here is one of the things. I, I remember as a little child hearing so much preaching on the second coming of the Lord and it was always done in such a way to strike a chord of fear in your heart and, and make you uh, nervous and, and all of these things. Does anybody remember those old movies, A Thief in the Night and all of that? I mean, they, that scared the living daylights out of me as a little kid. And yet, here's what Jesus said when he was talking about his return. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go, ye know and the way ye know. Now, if we read on, Thomas said, Lord, we have no idea what you're talking about. Verse 6, if you know it, quote it with me. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. We'll get to Second Thessalonians, I mean First Thessalonians chapter four in just a little bit. But Jesus was talking to the disciples. He he told them bad things were going to happen. In fact, he had just told Peter that he was going to deny the Lord, and in a few hours, Peter was going to get that done, the darkest hour of his life. And yet, here's what Jesus said: I want you to understand something. I'm going. 
but I'm coming again. He wasn't talking about just the fact that he would die on the cross and resurrect from the dead because he said, I'm going to receive you unto myself that where I am there ye may be also. That promise has yet to be fulfilled. We are waiting for that time. You know, people uh, talk about the church and, and I just want to chase a few things down here. Uh, and they they talk about the church being assembled together in heaven one day. That hasn't happened yet. It's going to happen. Jesus was speaking about it here. But we can't understand the church in the light of something that hasn't happened yet. The church, until Jesus comes and finally assembles us together in heaven, operates as individual. The word is autonomous. That means they govern themselves. That they are directly responsible to Jesus Christ. Local churches. Do not look for the universal, invisible anything. Uh, there, uh, the whole purpose of the universal invisible doctrine of the church was to answer the Roman Catholic argument that they were the universal visible church. And if you really want to argue that point, let them do it. Let them claim to be the universal visible church of Jesus Christ. The Orthodox makes the same claim. And all you have to do is simply say, that's not true. The Pope does not speak for Jesus Christ, nor has any archbishop in the history of the Orthodox Church spoken for Jesus Christ. And if you want to argue that point, just find something the Pope said that disagrees with the Bible, and which one are you going to choose? And I mean, history is full of people claiming to be the head of the church, speaking wrong things and disagreeing with the Bible. Jesus never once has disagreed with his book. There is no such thing, nor will there be a universal visible or a universal invisible church until that day when Jesus assembles his church of all believers with him personally presiding as its head. Is, is that so difficult to see? Now, we've just rewritten every religious library on the face of the earth. Do you realize that? Because all of these churches claim to be the embodiment. And what, what do we say as Bible-believing Baptists? That Jesus... Always has been, since the existence of his church, Matthew chapter 16, he is the head. How is he the head of each individual church? Very simple. Each church is individually responsible to Jesus Christ. No in-betweens. He does not appoint bishops over his churches or as his personal representative he doesn't need a personal representative because what did he say? 
where two or three are assembled. In my, he said, there am I in the midst. He said, I want you to understand something. I am coming back. That is supposed to be a comfort. It is supposed to be a solution to our troubled hearts. Do you, how many of your hearts are troubled for what's going on in our world today? Uh, if it isn't, it's because you're not paying attention. That's the only reason. I mean, uh, how can your heart not be troubled for the people that are grieving and sorrowing in Nepal with this earthquake that just came through there? How, how in the world uh, could you be an American and not grieve for the violence in our streets and things that are going on today? All based on lies, of course. And... As we look for these things and as we understand what is going on around us, what does the Bible say? Things are going to wax worse and worse. Men being deceived and deceiving themselves. But let not your heart be troubled because Jesus is coming back. He is preparing a place for us. And this is what we need to understand when we talk about Jesus is coming again. I love that song. We sing it all the time. Marvelous message we bring. I mean, I I just, uh, if I could be doing anything when Jesus comes back, I'd like to be singing that song, wouldn't you? Marvelous message we bring. Jesus is coming again. And just disappear. I mean, just... Feet leave the earth and go be with the Lord. That would be a wonderful thing. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us when he's coming. We don't know. But if I could pick what I was doing, that's what I'd like to be doing when Jesus comes back. Amen. And see him face to face. Let's turn to Acts chapter 1. And these are not the only passages. Jesus talked much of his coming again. Uh, I think it was Bancroft in his theology when he talked about Jesus' second return, uh, said it is the most talked about doctrine in the New Testament of Jesus' return to rule and reign. And, of course, there's a lot of things connected to that. But let's just go to Acts chapter 1, and this is Luke's account. And... uh, we look at verse 6. It says, when they, there were therefore, when they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? Now, you have to understand where the disciples were coming from. They were Jewish men. They understood. They had heard the prophecies of Isaiah. They had heard about how God, and, and in our, our regular study on Thursday night, and again, trying to break that up with some different subjects here, and since we talked about the crucifixion a couple of weeks ago and all of that, I figured, well, let's just get the Lord's coming in here. Amen? Uh, let's finish the, that secondary series. But so many of the prophecies of the minor prophets were 
destruction is coming. Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. The northern ten tribes are going to be wiped out. They're going to cease being a kingdom. God's judgment in every page of those minor prophets. And yet, what did it say? Always, a remnant is going to return. There is going to be a kingdom set up that's going to be modeled after the kingdom of David. Now, we read in the New Testament, we understand that church is going to be in there too. And the tribulation saints are going to be in there. And the Jewish people who believed in God, who had faith in God from the Old Testament, all of those groups are named as being in the New Jerusalem. Now, I don't understand everything about it, but that's going to be a wonderful time. And the disciples were going, is it going to happen now? And here's Jesus' answer. And he said unto them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up and the cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount of, called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And uh, verse 14, these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women, women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. Now, what do we see happening here? They said, Jesus, when are these things going to happen? Jesus said, don't worry when they're going to happen. What you want to be concerned about, what you want to do is to be A witness unto me. And how are you going to witness? The Holy Ghost is going to come upon you. Now, there's an awful lot spoken, just like about the church. There's an awful lot spoken about the Holy Ghost. If you want the Holy Ghost upon you, here's how you can know. It's not how you feel. It's not that you have some attendant phenomenon, Uh, Testing your life, Uh, I I hope I will never uh, get so senile that I'll forget this story of a man. We were sitting there in the pastor's house and he came over and and, uh, he began to explain to me how spiritual he was. And of course, when anybody starts doing that, I start getting a little nervous. And uh, he, he said, listen, he said, God answers my prayers. He said, I was... Uh, uh, driving home one day and God told me to stop at the grocery store and pick up a bag of groceries. And so I did. 
And then he told me to take a right turn here, and I took a right turn here. And I mean, he went on, he gave me every direction that he took. And the Holy Spirit told him, according to his story, to knock on such and such a door and give the groceries that he had purchased to this person. Now, I've always wondered what it would be like to be that person. Hello? God told me to give you these groceries. Here. Aren't you blessed? And walk away. And that's what he did. And that was supposedly to be evidence of his connection to the Holy Spirit of God. Could I challenge you that that's fairly shaky ground to be standing on? Because the Bible right here says, if you want to know the Holy Spirit is working in your life, you're going to tell people about Jesus. Amen? And I challenge you, take that thought and run it through the book of Acts. Any time the Holy Spirit is working, someone who doesn't know about Jesus and the story of Jesus is going to hear it. And if you want the Holy Spirit working in your life today, He is going to use you to tell People about Jesus. Now, does that mean everybody you tell is going to listen and get saved? I can't find that promise anywhere. But I can find over and over and over again in the Bible the duty of the believer. And by the way, this is connected to what we talked about the first time. Jesus did not say, Go thee in Matthew 28. He said, Go ye. That is the commission to the church. That's why we go out on regular times, and I hope that we'll have a good group here. I forgot to announce it as my mind was just uh, uh, not thinking properly, but uh, Saturday morning we're going to go over to Brother Newberger's, meet here at 11 o'clock for regular visitation. We'll fill the van up. If we fill the van up, we'll ask somebody else to drive. But uh, we're going to go over for a couple hours and just pass out tracks in Green uh, Greenpoint to try to be an encouragement. And so I would encourage you uh, to come and be there Saturday morning. And if you say, listen, I'm too afraid to pass out tracks. I'm too afraid to go out and tell people, well, you need to pay attention here. If you want the Holy Spirit working in your life, you got to take the message to the world in which you live. Amen? And as Jesus spoke these things, he said, Don't worry about when I'm coming back. Don't worry about when the kingdom is going to be restored to Israel. What you need to be concerned about is being a witness unto me. And then he disappeared. And now we have the promise. The angel said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. What was the disciples' response to the angel's command? They were to be, they were obedient. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, 
and telling people about Jesus. They waited. It was about 10 days for the day of Pentecost to come. And God's message was preached with power. So, Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. He said, don't worry about what is going to happen or when it is going to happen. You be concerned about telling others about me. And now we'll go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And here we have Paul explaining this to the church at Thessalonica in Greece. And, uh, of course, they had a unique thing happen to them. We don't know how unique, but as recorded in the Scriptures, somebody sent a letter to the Thessalonian church telling them that they were the Apostle Paul and that the resurrection had already passed and that all of these things were there and they missed it. He also talks to Timothy about those. And we'll get to, I'm getting ahead of myself, but look what we have here in verse 13 of 1 Thessalonians 4. It says, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. And now come down to verse 18, and we'll get the theme here. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. The second coming of the Lord is supposed to be an encouragement to our hearts to keep us serving Christ. We're not to be troubled by the circumstances of life, John chapter 14. We're supposed to be concerned with being witnesses to Jesus, Acts chapter 1. And 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, when we have the passing of those that have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are not to sorrow as the world sorrows. Now, let's read the whole passage here. I would not, but I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Now, if you turn back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and this is the one of the great chapters in the Bible. It explains the gospel. But in verse 51, it says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Somebody said that verse needs to be put up in the church nursery, right? Uh, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Well, That's not what it's talking about. Amen. Uh, Again, Paul is writing here and he is saying, listen, we're not all going to die. And I want you to get something. I, I say this all the time. And every time I go through this passage, don't get tired of hearing this. 
We includes me. Paul expected Jesus to return in his life. In fact, uh, in uh, the last, oh, 30 or 40 years, there's come up quite uh, uh, an argument against uh, what we believe, that Jesus could come back at any time. And, and they talk about there, no one believed in the preeminent return of Jesus Christ. Well, Paul did. John did. Peter did. I mean, their testimonies are in the Scriptures. And if you will study the history of Bible-believing people, every generation that has believed the Bible, that we have anything to understand, they thought Jesus was coming back in their lifetime. But, of course, those who want to prove something don't like to go there because it disproves what they believe. But we don't know when the Lord is coming back. It is a mystery. In the twinkling of an eye... It says, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. Now go down to verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Do you get this here? Everywhere we hear about the promise of Jesus' return, we are encouraged to be comforted in our hearts. We are encouraged to serve Him. We are encouraged to tell others about Him. We are encouraged to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. That will make us witnesses unto Him. Do Do you see the pattern that is established here? Every passage says it a little different, but it says the same thing. And when we, uh, let's just get to Titus right here real quick. You got first, second Timothy, Titus, Philemon. If you got to Philemon, you went too far. Um, but Titus talks about, um, looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. It is the blessed hope of the believer. I'll tell you, we, we need to be careful how we talk about Jesus coming again. It shouldn't be used as a rod of fear to make you afraid and I had better do this and better do that. The Bible says it's our comfort. It's something that ought to rally us. It's our blessed hope. It is the thing to keep our hearts from being troubled. These promises are to those that believe. You know, uh, one of the examples that's used in the Bible is, is when a woman gives birth, she has to go through an awful lot of pain and travail. But what allows her to endure that? Knowing that it's only temporary. That, that there is going to be an end. And at the end of that pain and the end of that suffering is going to be a baby. Then they get big and they become big. Pain. No, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, but 
The, the truth is, just as we look at that, we are to look at the travail and suffering of this life and understand that it's just a short blip compared to eternity. So shall we ever be with the Lord. We are to get comfort. We are to look at this thing positively. We believe in the pre-tribulational, pre-millennial return of Christ, or it's also called in many circles the rapture of the church. Uh, the word rapture is not found in your Bible. It just means a time of great joy. And uh, I think if you were going to be forevermore with the Lord, that word would apply very well, don't you? Uh, a time of great joy. And, and that's the reason it's connected there. Jesus told the disciples, not even I know the day of my return. They say, how can Jesus be God and not know? How could Jesus be God and die on the cross, my friend? Uh, that's the way it works. Jesus is God. He did die on the cross. Jesus is God. But he does not know. He is waiting on the command of the Father. When is that going to happen? I don't know. Could happen today. Oh, I'm so afraid. Wait a minute. Let's go back to the first point. The coming of the Lord is not to make you afraid. It's to encourage you in your service for the Lord. It is to help you realize that this time of suffering is a short time and we need... I, I listed just some uh, of the passages there. Uh, Paul was writing to the Thessalonians and he said, Don't be troubled uh, by a letter as from us that the day of the Lord is at hand. He said, It's not now. And then... In um, the other reference that, that is here in Second Timothy 2 and verse 18, as he was writing Timothy to help Timothy strengthen the churches and lead the churches in the way, he said, some have said the resurrection is past and overthrow the faith of many. He said, it hasn't happened yet. It's not happening now. It's still out there in the future. There have been many people that have tried to write fulfillments to these prophecies as if they had already happened. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm not forever with the Lord. Are you ever to be with the Lord? They have, it hasn't happened yet, but it will someday soon. And this is one of the reasons we, we believe in a literal, simple understanding. James chapter 5, verse 7 says that you need to wait for the coming of the Lord as a farmer waits for the harvest to come in. You say, but it's been a long time. Well, that's where the verse, a day with the Lord is as a thousand years and a thousand years is a day. That's where that verse actually applies. And that's what Peter is talking about. Just... Be glad the Lord didn't say tomorrow. Amen? We don't know when He's coming back. It could be today. But it could be a thousand years yet. We see all the prophecies lining up. But wait a minute. Those prophecies are dealing with things that are going to happen during the tribulation period. 
Jesus promised his church. Read Revelation 2 and 3. He said, I'm going to deliver thee from the hour of tribulation that comes on this earth. What did he tell the church that Jezebel was teaching in? He said, I'm going to take her and her children and I'm going to put them in tribulation. But he didn't say he was going to take his church through tribulation. He said he was going to deliver them from that. And that's why we believe that Jesus comes before the rapture. Another one is the promise to the church. And we're not going to take a lot of time to go through this, but Matthew chapter six, uh, 16, verse 18, Jesus said, The gates of hell shall not prevail against his church. Now, what he simply means by that is, no man, no group of men, not all the authority and power of the devil is going to stop Jesus' church. Now, guess what? There's been an awful lot of persecution, hasn't there? But you know what? Jesus' church has never been wiped out. It's existed. And we do not trace the history of our church by... Our church was started by the Cleveland Baptist Church, and Brother Newberger's church was started by Open Door Bible Baptist Church, and... And Cleveland Baptist Church was started by the Akron Baptist Temple. And the Akron Baptist Temple was started by the... We don't do that. You know why? Because churches change over the years. What matters is not your genealogy. What matters is your agreement with this book called the Bible. Amen? You see... When I was serving the Lord, when I graduated Bible college, you know what I did? I found a faithful church to serve in. I was serving as Brother Clayton's assistant in the evangelistic ministry, traveling. Brother Clayton was at a Cleveland Baptist church. Well, you know what? It didn't take a whole lot of thought process that the first time we stopped at Cleveland, I went forward and became a member of the Cleveland Baptist church. Uh, why? Because I was serving in Brother Clayton's ministry. That was his home church. That was, And I had lived in Springfield, Missouri before that. And I knew I wasn't going back. Praise God. Uh, I was glad to be out of that town and finished with Bible college. But I knew I was going to be stopping at Cleveland Baptist all the time. And then when we came to start this church, I went to Brother Thompson. And I said, Brother Thompson, I believe the Lord's called us to... Start church in New York City. I said, uh, "Do you want to send? A, do you want us to go out of Cleveland Baptist, or, or do I need to go somewhere else?" He said, "I'd be ashamed if you went somewhere else. I can't tell you what that did for my heart." And the Lord brought Brother Newberger to us, and we're sending him out, and Brother Hiram, and we commissioned him. Those—that's how churches start. My responsibility is to find a good church and go out of it. You know what Brother Thompson did? He found a good church and went out of it. Do you know what Brother Billington did at the Akron Baptist Temple? I don't even know the church he was sent out from. But he came out of a Bible preaching church and started a Bible preaching church. I'm not worried about the church that whoever started the church at Brother Billington. Because I don't know. But I will tell you this. Bible Preaching churches don't start themselves. 
contrary to popular belief. If you want to know what starts itself, study the history of the Jehovah's Witnesses. Study the history of the Mormon Church. Study the history of all these other organizations. Why do they call them Lutherans? Because there was no such thing before a guy named Martin Luther came along. Why do they call them Methodists? Because John and Charles Wesley developed the method that everybody followed. There were no such thing as a Methodist before the Wesley brothers. And so as we go through history, we can trace the origins. But Jesus' church goes directly back to Jesus. Not mother-daughter. Because it doesn't matter, it doesn't affect my relationship with God directly. What people did a thousand years ago. My relationship with God is directly affected by what I did ten minutes ago. Amen? Uh, By what I'm going to do tomorrow. That is the essence of everything that's talked about. And yet... Jesus said the gates of hell would not prevail against his church. And we can go through history and we can find that there were the Waldensians in the second century, first century, that believed the Bible. We can find other groups by other names all the way down through the ages, not related to each other, no physical connection that we know of, except for the fact that They believe this same book. Amen? But read Daniel chapter 7, verse 25. It's talking about the rule of Antichrist. It says that all people will be given into his hand and he will wear out the saints of God. You see, God will give Antichrist. No one will stand against him. He will give the world the dictator, the ruler that they have sought through for for all of history. And all of the religions that are in existence today will recognize him. Why do you think there's all this talk in the Islamic world of the last imam? Do you know who he's going to be? The man the Bible calls the Antichrist. And all of the Islamic world are going to come and worship this man. They are going to, the Jews will accept him as their Messiah. The Christians will believe that he is Jesus Christ. That's why he's called Antichrist. He is the imitation. He is the false Christ. And he is going to prove to the world. Jesus said, as in the days of Noah, so also shall the days of the coming of the Son of Man. Did you ever really think about that? Why was not Noah taken by surprise when the flood came? Could it be because he had the word of God and was obeying it? There's your biblical principle if you want it. Why will the Christians not be taken by surprise when Jesus comes? Uh, Could it be because they have the word of God and are doing it? Amen? Why will the world be taken by surprise even though all these prophecies are talked about there? I mean, 
Do you think that we could call the National Endowment for the Sciences and give them a Bible and say, now listen, if you'll study this book, you'll find out what's going to happen. How many of you would like to bet on that one? The leadership of our world does not pay a bit of attention to this book, nor would they if you set one on their lap. If you opened it up to the passage and gave them the verses, they still would refuse to understand what's written in the book. That's how Jesus will be manifest unto his own and not unto the world at large. You've got to follow the Bible. Amen? That's why we believe Jesus is coming back before the tribulation begins. And the differences in the prophecies compare Zechariah chapter 14 where it says that his foot will touch the Mount of Olives and it's going to split in two and the entire geography of the land of Israel is going to be turned up and the whole land is going to become flat like a plain and uh, all of the things that are talked about in Ezekiel are going to happen then and Jesus is going to rule the earth. But the angel said, in like manner as you've seen him go, you're going to see him come again. He ascended up into the clouds, Paul said, forever to be with the Lord. We're going to meet him in the air. Amen. Jesus said, I'm going to come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Paul said, ever to be with the Lord. You see, what that's supposed to be, is an encouragement to serve Jesus Christ. Amen? And understanding to simply live a pure life. He that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. It is a comfort. I'll tell you, the greatest comfort I have. Mrs. Wilson was a dear friend. But she's with the Lord. It's hard to be sad and picture that broken, feeble body in the same thing. It's just hard to be sad. I'm going to miss her because she won't be there to talk. She won't be there to stop and see in the nursing home. She won't be there to say, well, I'm still praying for you. Uh, I'm going to miss those things. I believe the Lord will burden someone else's heart to pick up the place where she left off. Amen? And so, listen. It is my hope that one of these days I'm going to be with the Lord. Don't give in to the preaching of fear. I guess the best example I can give you, and, and it's just homespun. And I've used it before, but when I was a little boy... I was probably about Joey's size, maybe just a little older. My dad would say, listen, I want the basement swept. Now, how many of you believe the basement got swept? Well, my dad said, this is it. I'm coming home at 4 o'clock this afternoon. I'm coming in the basement door. And if that basement isn't swept, bad things are going to happen. I'm not going to tell you what those bad things were. You use your imagination, but they were plenty bad. Amen? If I had been obedient, where was I 
at 4.30 or so when my dad came walking through that basement door. I was waiting at the basement door. Look what I did, Dad. The basement is clean. I did what you said. That's how the second coming of the Lord is supposed to be. But if I got goofing off and disobedient and all of a sudden I look up at the clock in the kitchen and it's 4.15 and the basement is not clean. You know what? Not going to get cleaned in 15 minutes. Just not going to happen. So where am I going to be? Hiding. Because he's going to come in and when he comes in, bad things are going to happen to me. Listen, we, we need to be ready for the Lord to come. And He wants us to be waiting at the door. Lord, You encourage my heart by the promise of Your coming. I'm looking for it. Lord, You gave me the ability to take Your gospel. And by the way, there's lots of ways you can take the gospel. Can you take the gospel into all the world through your missions giving? Well, then we ought to be giving to missions through the power of the Holy Spirit. Hence, faith, promise, missionary giving. Amen? Uh, should you be passing out tracts on the streets around here? Oh, yeah. Should you be passing out tracts in Greenpoint? Oh, yeah. We, we need to do what we can do to be faithful and the Lord will encourage us. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. How about being a witness at work? That's not hard to do. But you don't know who I work with. No. But the Lord does. Amen. And sometimes the best witness you can be is just being honest and diligent in your work. Amen. How in the world does the Lord expect me to put up with all that stuff? Um, it's called the Holy Spirit. Amen. He's coming. He wants me to be a witness. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. And all God's people said, Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this night and we thank you. For the comfort that is in the promise of your any moment return. Lord, we pray that we would allow that promise to work in our hearts and lives. To bring us to a point of service for you. Of being used by the Holy Spirit of God. Lord, to have a blessed hope. To realize that the suffering of this present time is not to be compared. And Lord, how many verses could, could have been mentioned and written in the outline tonight and just were not because of lack of time. Lord, we ask that the Holy Spirit would minister your word to us. That when you come through that door, when you come through those clouds, we will be eagerly awaiting your return. We ask you to work in our hearts. Before we finish that prayer, 
We just had the piano play, and if you need to slip out and spend a few minutes with the Lord, the altar.